Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Truth and Movies. Today, watch Matt Damon get cut down to size again in Alexander Payne's downsizing Mini-Me the Movie. We salute Last Flag Flying, Richard Linklater's latest, and Early Man, Nick Park's prehistoric tale, call it Jurassic Park, of Early Man and Man United. All of that plus Film Club as we look back on Payne's 1999 classic, Election. It's Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. And today's Truth of Movies is all about Hannah Woodhead. Hi. And Adam Woodward. Hello, James. And me. It's all about the Oscars as well, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Is it all about the Oscars? Well, do you know, we don't tend to really make pay that much attention to the Oscars. Do not? No. I've that makes n- us sound like massive hipsters. Like, oh, we don't, we don't pay attention. Well, I, d- I can't remember the last time I actually watched the Oscars. Yeah, I've not watched it for a while. Right. It's, it's on it, so late here. It's right? quite yeah. tedious. And it's also really frustrating because they never get it right. Yeah. Well, the, the, the bit I quite like is the red carpet. Oh, before they go in. Hmm. Right. Mm. I mean, it's sort of like you hate watch it. But yeah, it's, it's entertaining. Ryan Seacrest is Is just... it a bit like being at a wedding of somebody you don't particularly like? You could just sit and be snide <laughs> at the back. You kind of get drunk and you yeah. know, you're not going to have to worry about it. All right, what time will the red carpet be on then? Oh, probably from about uh, 10, 11. And which no, Sunday is it? Is it late, soon? Third of March or something? Oh, not until then? Yeah, it's ages away. Are you happy? So let's do this. <laughs> Listeners, are you happy with your Best Picture nominations? Call me by your name. Darkest Hour, Dunker, Get Out, Ladybird, Phantom Thread, The Post, The Shape of Water, and yes, three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. That's a solid lineup, isn't it, for 2017? Yeah. Yeah. It's all right. Is there is this something that you think should be on there, or something that shouldn't? Darkest Hour has no place among those films. Interesting. You've done Darkest Hour, haven't you? The first week of Jan. Oh, Jan. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I like Darkest Hour, apart from the bizarre underground incident. A couple of people have now said this to me about that underground it's sequence. very strange. And how strange it is. I think Mudbound probably deserved it more than Darkest Hour. Okay. But... So you'd have a Mudbound on there and take Darkest Hour out. Mm. What about you, Adam? What well, we... a word on Mudbound oh, is yeah. uh, it's obviously not got a Best Picture nom, but Rachel Morrison, the cinematographer, has become the first woman to be nominated in that category ever. Really? In the history of the 90-year history of the Oscars. And Mudbound as well being a Netflix film, it's uh, quite an interesting landmark. That is nomination for that. Yeah, that's their first feature nomination, which is worth sort of recognising. Good for Netflix. Very good. Lots of documentaries of theirs have been nominated, but... Never an actual feature film. Never an actual feature film. Adam, your Best Picture nominee missing titles? 
I'm not sure there's too much missing. I think Call Me By Your Name was my, my favourite film of last year. That's who you give the Oscar and to. And I would give it to that, although Phantom Thread is obviously being released over here this mm. year, so it would be on my list for this year. Okay. All right. What do you think about Darkest Hour? Would you have that on the best? Do you know I haven't you? seen it? Have you not? No. The Come for the film. underground thing. Stay for the extraordinary I Gary Oldman. Well, like, I'm, I'm intrigued to see this scene. We haven't got the best makeup Oscar, but if that doesn't go to whoever did Gary Oldman, turned him into Winston Churchill, then that's a very short list this year, isn't it? It's, it's Darkest Hour, Wonder. One thing I think we could all agree on about Darkest Hour is, in an age in which Hollywood still struggles to do age makeup properly, Viz, Guy Pearce in Prometheus. It's a major step forward what they do to Gary Oldman in in Dark Star. Yeah, I, it is quite uncanny. Those are the Oscars, anyway. Now, of more immediate concern are this week's releases, which we're going to begin by looking at downsizing. Downsizing is Alexander Payne's biting satire in which Paul, played by Matt Damon, responds to straightened economic circumstances by convincing his wife to join him in getting shrunk to a few inches tall and thus living in relative wealth and splendour, although does not go according to plan. Here are Paul and Audrey, who's played by Kirsten Wigg, beginning their procedure. Please state your full legal names. Audrey Lustig Safranic. Paul Norris Safranic. And do you understand that of your own free will, you will undergo the permanent and irreversible medical procedure commonly known as downsizing, and that following the procedure, your bodies will be approximately 0.0364% of their current mass and volume? Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, Paul, I need a yes or no? Yes. Yes. And do you understand that there exists an approximately one in 225,000 chance that the procedure could result in injury, permanent disability, or death. Yes. 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 Kind of tilt-shift the movie, this one. A film all about being tiny. How ironic, then, that it goes on too long, Adam Woodward. Yeah, that is the first thing to say about this film. I think Alexander Payne has an idea of what he wants to do with this film. And you can normally see the points in the script writing process where he's gone off on a mad tangent and probably written himself into a corner. And it does go on, is it almost two and a half hours long? It probably feels an hour mm. too long. But I think, you know, give him his dues. He's doing something a bit different here. It's very much within his wheelhouse. I mean, it is a film about a sort of pathetic middle-aged white guy going on a journey. But he's doing something different. I mean, it's a sci-fi parable. Mm -hmm. There's some interesting stuff in there. As a satire, I'm not sure it works particularly well. There's a lot of different things getting, well, I think, getting satirised. I did lose track a little bit because the first hour is very much playing, and there are a lot of great sight gags in there as well, about this whole disparity between the tiny humans and the big, big ones because there's a major movement to get everyone to kind of downsize and therefore use up uh, less of the Earth's resources. It's going in an interesting direction, but it does then go on a much bigger journey and a less focused one, I think. Yeah, so the premise is that a Norwegian scientist discovers the technology to shrink people down to a, what is it, a 23rd of their own size or something. Possibly. And, you know, it's, it's very optimistically introduced as a way to essentially solve the problem of overpopulation. I think one of the things he's, he's trying to skewer here is like liberal hypocrisy, the idea that if we all gang together and everyone making a bit of a difference, we, you know, we can kind of preach this idea of 
people making a difference on a sort of small everyday scale when actually our governments are all quite corrupt and spend a lot of money on things like war and uh, you know nuclear weapons and if they wanted to solve world hunger they probably could do it but they choose not to right. and i think right. that's kind of what he's aiming at okay initially okay overall though you you emerge with positive feelings about this film hannah i don't think the same could be said for you no no i didn't like it very much at all what, um, what was it that irked you most about it maybe matt damon right. i think Casting Matt Damon as an everyman is such a sort of weird choice. Um, he's not an everyman, you know, he's he's Jason Bourne. I don't think he's an actor with a particular range. Uh, sorry, Matt Damon, I, I don't... I think that if he'd cast election era, Matthew Broderick had been available, mm. would have been perfect. Or even uh, Will Fort, who uh, made Nebraska with Alexander Payne, would have been a better choice. I just can't buy him in the role. And he just gets so sort of tedious. Mm. And you find yourself just like, I don't really care what happens to Paul. I think he's a horrible person. And uh, the character who stages his love interest deserves just so much better. She's played by this actress, Hong Chao, who's like magnificent, playing a Vietnamese dissident who gets um, shrunk down against her will by her government. Mm. And um, she just like steals the show. You just sort of wish it was a film about her instead because she's so much more interesting. And I could have handled a film about Christoph Waltz as well. <laughs> Without? No, with oh, with oh yeah, just about, about his him. character. Yeah, yeah, I, I like. As usual, him he it. kind of was way more engaging than, as you say, Matt Damon, who came across just, as a little bit annoying in this. Yeah, and he he's so sanctimonious and thinks he's um, right about everything. It's, yeah. It is a very tricky one to pitch, I mm. think. And Matt Damon's performance, I don't think you could point to anything he does particularly and say that's awful, that's bad. I think he is just miscast. Mm. Um, whereas Christoph Waltz, you know, he, he comes in as this like ageing playboy and doesn't really do a lot but sort of steals the show a little bit mm. people have been criticising the film as well as being a sort of white saviour movie and I like that mm. Alexander Payne's response to that uh, in an interview we, we run with him is that it's a yellow saviour movie right interesting, which is an, an interesting what else did he have to say so he, he touches in your interview on the fact that the film kind of got away from him yeah, he he does hint at that. I think he's someone who is his own, you know, biggest critic. Right. Certainly, none of this will be lost on him. I think he had ideas of what he wanted to say and do with this film. You get the sense from him that the script was a lot tighter, and the initial, like, the kernel of the idea that became this film was something that he was very proud of. And and I don't know that he's as pleased with the final product. Mm. He's been working he, on it a long, long time yeah. as well before he made um, Descendants. So 2009, I think, is when he first started. Uh, whittling way on this one. I think the premise is just so much better than the execution. And um, did you like the first hour or so when yeah, it was yeah. that kind of? It's just goofy sci-fi. sort of sci-fi, and even the satire in the beginning is kind of interesting. But it just so quickly derails into, you know, religious satire and political satire and every single kind of satire, and it doesn't work for me. He definitely does over-egg it. Yeah. Um, I think initially he introduces his premise, he builds the world quite well. I mean, I was definitely interested in where it was going and to see some of the details and some of the, okay, what happens here if, if everyone's suddenly small? How do people eat and how do people mm. move around? And he does answer some of those questions. And I think, if anything, I'd like to have seen a little bit more inventiveness and for it to have just explored those ifs and those questions a little bit more. Mm. But yeah, I think overall it's, it's a little bit of a missed opportunity. I think that he actually strikes upon something more profound and more certainly more touching for me within the first five minutes of the film when Matt Damon is uh, is shown to be looking after his like infirm elderly mother mm -hmm. and she says something uh, in passing just about you know well 
why are they trying to help everyone else when I'm here and I'm, I'm sort of suffering? Why is no one helping me, you know? And, yeah, I thought that was a really a nice sort of moment that is really recognised or acknowledged by the film beyond that. But right. to me, the film should be more and could have been more about her and people in her situation. OK, interesting. I mean, it is an interesting concept that he's gone with and perhaps the reason that we're so down on, on downsizing is, is the fact that it leads to expectations that it struggles to fulfil. But I, I didn't think it was a bad trip to the cinema. A little bit long. I'd, I'd maybe say four, because I like his films usually for my expectations, and three and two maybe after... No, but we'll say threes. Hannah, what about you? I'm a solid four in anticipation. Mm-hmm. I'm a big fan of Alexander Payne. I like pretty much everything else he's done. Three in enjoyment i say that after the first hour it just kind of lost me and probably a two yeah in retrospect yeah it's not one i'll be revisiting okay adam i'm gonna score this four three three laura dern turns up in quite a fun cameo oh i'd forgotten that what does she turn up the place where all the little people go to live Mm -hmm. or one of them is this sort of fantasy utopia model village town and uh neil patrick harris is the kind of representative of this company and he does this amazing guided tour as a small version of himself to a room full of normal sized people and yes it, it really is as weird watching it as as it, it probably sounds to me describing it and yeah he, he introduces it and laura dern appears in the bathtub that's all i'm going to say but yeah right okay excellent all right well that is downsizing what else might you spend your time at the movies on this week well last flag flying that's up after this Last Flag Flying, three men who shared a life-changing experience in Vietnam decades before reunite and take a road trip together in what turns out to be dramatic circumstances for one of them. Here's a moment in which they're talking to a young army lieutenant played by J. Quinton Johnson. Mr. Shepard Larry was where he wanted to be. He hated it. We all hate it. But you get sent over there and it stops being about what you want, or the war even. You're there for your brothers. Yeah, that's all that really matters. He must have been embarrassed. Me sitting out the last part of our war in the brig. No, sir. The thing that made Larry different from the rest of us in the unit, he had a happy childhood. He said that? Yes, sir. He had a mother and father that loved him, loved each other. Yeah. Nice house to live in. Good food to eat. It went on about school and football and nice friends. And he loved you. Hannah, you think that's the best moment in this film? Yeah, I didn't like this film. Did you not like this no. film? No. I have a bit of a complicated relationship with Richard Linklater. Don't let that colour your view of his work. <laughs> no, okay, so I must admit, watching this film, I did think a lot, which Linklater film is this film like? And afterwards, I th- yeah, there are maybe similarities, but which ones of his have you liked and not liked then? I really didn't like Boyhood. Okay. Um, everyone sort of gasps when I say that, but I really didn't like it. I liked the ambition, didn't like the execution. Okay. Really liked Dazed and Confused. Right. And that's about it, really. I think I'm just not a fan of his, which is fine. I I can understand why people like him. It's just not for me. Okay. Adam, are you a fan of Linklater? Oh, very much so, yeah. This new one is slightly different to 
maybe some of the films he's made more recently. Mm-hmm. It hasn't got the scope or the ambition of Boyhood. I don't think it's got the intimacy of, of like the before films, although you do yeah. spend the time with these three guys and you get to know their characters very well. I think it's much more staged than mm. the before films. It's much more muted as well. I mean, very deliberately muted. The previous film to this would be Everybody Wants Some. And there is a similarity there in that he's exploring things through the uh, medium of guys hanging out, drinking beer and swearing. Right, and if you don't like guys hanging out, drinking beer and swearing movies, then this probably isn't going to do much for you. Mm. But, you know, it's it's three very talented actors, Lawrence Fishburne, Steve Carell, Brian Cranston, hanging out and, for the most part, having a good time. I think Linklater brings his usual pithy dialogue. It's very tightly scripted. It's sort of mundane in a way, but mm. in a very real, sort of honest sense. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I felt it was kind of low-key and so deliberately low-key that you almost don't realise what it's doing. Yeah until it's done it, and then you do get hit quite hard, I think, emotionally in this. But Hannah, let's just... Do you think it's just purely linked later that you don't like, or is there no, something no, about... No, there's something about this film in general that I think is so um, sort of misjudged. So the the whole thing's pitched as this sort of spiritual sequel to... Um, the Last Detail. The Last Detail by yeah. Hal, Hal Ashby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know, something about the tone of it really irked me. I think to make a war film in this day and age. It's not a war film, but it is at the same time. You know, it's about their experiences after the war and Steve Carell's son is a veteran as well. Like, you know, you ha- when you're dealing with these characters, you have to kind of, even if you're not passing judgment, make some sort of statement, I think. And it just, it, it felt very, like, Do you know the film, confused. The thing, I thought the film did explore that, but there is an ambivalence, which I think... A lot of people, and probably Linklater himself, feels is maybe that's why he felt moved to make this film. That, on one hand, you you want to celebrate the people who show that level of dedication by enlisting or serving, but on the other hand, you can't help but be aware of the motives that they get sent out there in the first place. And mm. you, you know, you touched on kind of the murky politics before, mm. so it's a really difficult also for the people in the in, in the forces to deal with, I guess, which is which is something that they bring out in their conversation. What did we do it for? It's an interesting time for this film to be coming out mm. as well because it is about the Iraq War, and I think it's supposed to be set, I guess. Around 2009, 10. Well, I was confused like about this because cellular phones mm. and the They're novelty just thereof. Phones, aren't they? yeah. yeah. So either these people have been living in a cave for a long time, 15 years, or it's set right when no, phones no, I, first. I, I think it's set think during it's set... the war. Okay. So maybe a decade ago or so. And they've yeah. maybe got slightly older phones because, I mean, Brian Cranston's character gets, there's a whole scene where he gets a phone for the first time in this, and it is a big novelty to him. So clearly, yeah, it's, it's trying to put it around I guess the mid noughties but the key thing is that it is about specifically that particular era of American politics dealing with it now I think it's interesting that enough time has passed now maybe the wounds haven't completely healed but America as a country as a nation is starting to look back at that time and ask questions I think this film tries to answer in a very you know non-judgmental it hasn't necessarily got an agenda it's Mm. not lambasting the Bush regime or anything like that it's actually I think representative of a lot of different views and and different perspectives that people from America whether they've served in the war as veterans in Vietnam and, and Iraq or whether they're just people who are ordinary you know voting citizens who maybe opposed the war I think it you know covers a lot of different perspectives of people. Mm. I think that's why maybe I have an issue with it because it, it just tried to do too much and it felt in sort of there were these moments where, you know, they're kind of the guys are reflecting on their experiences in Vietnam and they seem so sort of jaded and then in the next breath they're kind of like 
Hoorah. You know, yeah, exactly. And mm. I, uh, you know, yeah. maybe this is just something that I, as you know, someone who has never served in the U.S. military, can't understand. But, and I think as well that the U.S. military has an emotional import, even for people mm. who hasn't served it in the states, that is maybe hard for us to necessarily yeah. grasp over here. We talked about it being a muted film. I think two things really made it stand out for me. Mm. One was Steve Carell's performance, which, although it does veer dangerously close to brick territory in one scene on a train, <laughs> is by and large an extraordinarily subtle portrait of a man of great compassion and, and kind of quiet courage as well. And the other one is Brian Cranston, who I don't know, Hannah, what you, you felt. I thought, I thought he, he was going to be a little bit De Niro in Midnight Run to begin well, with, he's, he's, but he takes it way beyond that. I, you realise he's channeling Jack Nicholson. Jack Nicholson, yeah. right. Okay. In the yeah. last detail. So it's a sort of, yeah, meta performance. Oh, God, I just thought he was awful. Really? Okay. <laughs> I, I really like Brian Cranston. I think he's an um, incredibly good actor, but maybe that's his talent, is that in this I thought he's just the most boorish, insufferable kind of man that I don't want to encounter in my real life or yeah. in my cinematic life. And, I can uh, see how that would reduce your, your viewing <laughs> pleasure. But Steve Carell, I thought, was brilliant. And it's always nice to see Lawrence Fishburne yeah. in a sort of big, meaty role. Yeah, yeah, because he doesn't get out much he these doesn't, days. Does he? he doesn't. No, not enough for Larry Fishburne. Mm. All right, so Hannah, you're very much not going to give this high scores. Adam, where do you stand on this? I, I really like this film. It didn't blow me away the first time I saw it, but it's definitely stayed with me, and I've thought about the characters and their relationships more. The idea that these three guys may not have ever met or crossed paths had they not been in this horrible war situation together. It's interesting that he's now exploring that, and... I like the the coda with uh, or the nice bookend with Lawrence Fishburne playing a Vietnam veteran having been in Apocalypse Now, and it was his Ooh, first film good role. Right, I I went saw it again, mm. and it is very under. It's almost TV movie esque in its kind of scale and, and pacing. I don't know. Maybe it's a movie like they used to make nowadays. There are certain beats that I think a script will try and hit, which mm. this film doesn't necessarily try and do. But it, it did seem. You know, Linklater's interesting, the way he'll do something that is tremendously ambitious, like Boyhood or like his rotoscoping work, and then he'll do something that's so very, very seemingly unambitious as this. I liked it. It Mm. possibly doesn't catch fire the way that you would hope, given the cast and and the subject matter. Should I give it scores? Yeah, I'm going to give it fours across the board. Fours across the board. Hannah? Uh, Three, two, two. Okay. I'll say... It's a tough one, this, isn't it? Yeah, I'll give it... Yeah. Four three four actually, so all in all, worth your time I think. Hannah, it's not been a great week for you at the movies, but let's fingers crossed that our next film is one that you really really enjoyed. It is the widely critically hailed Early Man. Set at the dawn of time, listeners, when prehistoric creatures and woolly mammoths roam the earth, but there's also mm, a Bronze Age city nearby, Early Man tells the story of Doug, who, along with his comedy sidekick Hobnob, unites his tribe in a a quest to save their village against their footballing neighbours. Here, we're introduced to Doug's tribe. Morning, Barry. Morning, Doug. Mr Rock coming hunting today. Oh, yeah. Wouldn't miss it for the world. Morning, Osbo. Change your underpants today? Yeah, changed them with Thongo, Chief. Champion. Mm. Chief? Yes, Gravel. Um, when I put my arm up, it, it hurts. Well, don't do it then. Grub up. Don't eat that. That's Emac. <laughs> Yum. 
Hey, Exactly. Uh, right. Heads down, everyone. Thank you, Doug. <clears throat> we give thanks for our valley, our home, <laughs> this precious ground which sustains us and gives us shelter from the bad air. May we live in peace, balance and harmony with our forest and all the creatures we share it with. Right, let's go kill something. Yeah! You've got a piece up on the very excellent Little White Lies website, lwlies.com, all about the brilliance of Chicken Run, an earlier Nick Park work, which you describe as poultry in motion. I nicked that from the film, by the way, just not some genius. A lot of people have said to me, congratulations, that's a great pun. It wasn't me. But um, massive Aardman fan. What's your favourite Aardman film? Oh, it's definitely Chicken Run. It's the first film I ever saw in the cinema, which is showing my age. Even though it's got Mel Gibson in it? Well, the nice thing about Chicken Run is that, like, yeah, Mel Gibson's in it, but you don't really care because there are so many great women in the cast. That's true. I was just going to say, he was okay back then, Mel. In no, I just, yeah, was, no, I mean, I don't mean because the, I just thought he wasn't actually that good as a... Why are you getting Australian very, to yeah. voice an, an American, rooster? American rooster? That is true. On a Yorkshire poultry farm. Yeah, again. There's a lot of flaws here. It did seem like they had to work extra hard to get him into the production. I wasn't I sure that were, it was worth it. I think they were probably, you know, sort of told by... Um, the studio, the studio mm. to get a, to get someone big in because this was their first feature film, but it is like a who's who of British talent at the same time, which is which lovely, Chicken Run, you know, yeah, yeah, okay, and it's so the same with um, Early chicken, Man. Chicken Run, you loved. How did you react to this one? I was excited about seeing this. Yes. I, you know, always excited when Ardman are putting out a new film. It's totally been marketed as something other than what it actually is. Mm-hmm. I, I was about half an hour in was like, oh, this is not what I thought it was going to be at all. But it's okay. Yeah, that's how I felt about it. Better than I feel about Last Flag Flying and Downsizing. So. Okay. So of the three, this is the one that you'd go and see again? Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay. And it's only like 90 minutes. So That's true, which is a major plus. And the, the point you make about the marketing, that absolutely hit me as well. I thought I was going to see a film about an Ardman take on Cavemen or something like that. Mm. And when it turns out to be essentially a story about a football team discovering self-belief and the value of teamwork... Uh, that's when I felt a little bit like I'd been led down the garden path. Yeah, it's the claymation Manchester United origin story. And it really no is, isn't it, coming. nakedly? Yeah, I just I was realising that the film is 90 minutes, which of course is a length of a football match. Oh, that's true. And yeah. Have you seen the Mexican poster, which... Oh, I have yeah. now, thanks Brilliant. to you. Brilliantly, yeah. is just, it totally uh, embraces the football aspect of the plot. Uh-huh. Which none of the other. I mean, if you look at the UK posters, if you've seen the trailer, there's not a single football in sight. This one is a, a brilliant shot of the uh, the female goal scoring character in this mid volley, and I think her name is Guna. Yeah, that's right. That's Maisie Williams's character Guna, also involved in the film. Are Tom Hiddleston, who's the vaguely evil Lord Nuth, the scheming, shall we say, Lord Nuth, who's largely in charge of this very elaborate neighbouring Bronze Age town. Eddie Redmayne, who's Doug, the hero. Queen of Ufifa. Oh, I see. Queen of FIFA. <laughs> now I get it. Miriam Margolis. Richard Ayode, who's entirely wasted as Trebor, which, by the way, is Robert Backwards, for anyone who didn't grow up in the 70s. Timothy Spall, Chief Bobner, Rob Bryden, message. But Rob Bryden contributes a kind of pastiche mm. of uh, Motti and Alan Hansen kind mm. of 
1990s era match I, the day. I gather those two are still like working. No, no. Well, actually, Motti is, but only really as a concession to the fact I, that I he was once. I wonder why you wouldn't cast them. But instead. Isn't, didn't the whole film feel incredibly dated from that yeah. point of view? Yeah, we had this conversation when we went to see it. It felt like it was made more than 10 years ago. Yeah. It felt like it could have been made when Chicken Run was made. Well, Nick Park, the director and Ard Man legend, mm. it's his first film since Wallace and Gromit Curse of the Were-Rabbit in 2005. Oh, so he hasn't been the director on the other ones? No, well, uh, Peter Lord <coughs> is the other um, Ard right. Man mainstay. He did Pirates yeah. last time out and I think uh, has done things in between that. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's curious because Curse of the Were-Rabbit I thought was one of their finest pictures and oh, it contains brilliant. a level of, of ingenuity, not just in terms of visually, because this, to be fair, is visually as strong as ever in terms mm. of the actual animation technique. It's just in terms of the jokes and the wit and the wordplay. It's entirely at a much lower level, I think, to anything they've that, done before. That's what I think was missing in this for me was the, the comedy. It's quite a sweet film and it's very earnest and clearly has been made with a lot of love, but it's just not that funny if you're not au fait with the 90s football jokes yeah. which I don't think most small children are well this is the thing I, I saw this film in the, in the cinema with my uh, girlfriend and she's not particularly a football fan but even she could spot kind of modern references and I was kind of chuckling away to myself at some of the like Saint and Greavesy references in this and you're like why have they made this film now and what do they think the audience is going to be or what does Nick Park think the audience is for this because yeah it, is, it just does feel quite dated Also why did they choose if they're going to make a film about a sports parable if you will a sort of Mighty Ducks in which there is actually a Mighty Duck right. uh, but anyway it, why did they set that in Kind of quasi Stone Age, but hang on, there is what seems almost like a medieval settlement right next. That also really lost me that bit that you know you're in this Stone Age setting, and all of a sudden these giant armored things arrive in the middle of the, well, the jungle. Yeah, you know, it creates this world which you want to explore, and I think initially it does. And and there's some great visual humor, just the craft and the the tactileness of it. That's what I love about watching these films. You know, when you watch Wallace and Gromit, you realize that it's done on this. You know, it's quite. A, modest scale really and this one it did feel like they were going for something a bit more ambitious and then really it doesn't actually go anywhere I mean it, the setting could be anything I mean it could be set in the Roman times it mm. could be set now it, you know football is basically a film about a football match yeah I think I would have much preferred the film that I thought it was going to be Let's I thought make it, it was Hannah. you know I have so many questions about why they did this okay so what other questions have you got why didn't they make a film about this... About cavemen. About cavemen. That mm-hmm. would have been so much better. Or and about more Bronze universal. Age men, but maybe not yeah. both at the same time. I think it's, yeah. a, it's a sad thing, though, because, you know, these films take a long time to make and yeah. they cost money. Mm. And Ardman, I don't think, has been profitable particularly for a while. I don't think Pirates did very well when that came out. Right. And that was quite a tradition, based on a kind of adult children's mm. novel series. This one seems to have just come out of nowhere. I would be surprised if I'd make another feature after this. Oh. Mm. Really? I mean, the Shaun the Sheep movie a couple of years uh, ago. No, they're making another Shaun the Sheep. Yeah, that was great. And that's deservedly got a sequel on the way. And I'm sure it'll be absolutely lovely. But after this, you know, there's not probably not going to be any Wallace and Gromit films in the future with Peter Silas yeah. having mm. passed away. So, yeah, you just wonder who the audience is for these films now. As much as I love reruns of Wallace and Gromit and will always be interested in films that they make or whatever they make, mm. it's hard to see where they go from here. Possibly television is, is a more natural medium for work as complex, you know, in terms of production as this. This might right, have then. worked perfectly as like a 60-minute sort of Christmas special. Right. But I think for a feature film, it's just not got the audience. Mm. But we should say that it is visually wonderful and, oh, and quite charming yeah. and quite funny. And there's some good voice work. I think Eddie Redmayne does some of his best work in this. 
Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I think I'd, I'd be a little bit upset if I were Eddie Redmayne to think that this was the pinnacle of my I, career I should so maybe far. caveat that by saying that I'm not a huge Eddie Redmayne fan. <laughs> not, no. He's got an Oscar now. He doesn't yeah. care. Yeah. <laughs> All right, then. So, okay, that said, what numbers do you give it, Adam? I'd go four, three, two. two. Yeah, go Begr- on then. Begrudgingly, uh, yeah. It's just not got any kind Hannah's, of staying power. Hannah, are you going to go with fractions or what? Yeah, four, three, and then like I feel really bad giving an Arden film a two because, you know, they've been a huge part of my sort of development as a film fan. But it is a, I think it's a two. There, mm. I have no inclination to rewatch. This. I would say four, two, two is very much mine, wow. and even then I'm struggling to muster a two at the end. I was, I felt deeply disappointed by this, and I, I'm very bewildered, not for the first time, at why it's it, whether it's because it's an English film or what, why it's received such wonderful reviews. Has it? Yeah, yeah. Wow. Just a quick scan of, of what your usual kind of media outlets or reviewing places are saying. By and large, it's kind of heartwarming, another classic from Ardman Animation. So I'm surprised. I wondered if it was, you know, me, or maybe not seeing it with small kids or something like that. But I know not everything can be Paddington 2, mm. which yeah. is just a wonderful I th- film. I think that I came away thinking that, you know, family movies and kids' movies like this have moved on quite a bit since right. Ardman started making films and, and really Ardman. And Nick Park especially hasn't. Yeah, um, Maybe does... there's only a limit to how much humour you can get from Claymation. But I don't know about that, because if you think about the kind of things they have done in the past, like I think Pirates and, and Will Stop eventually going on about Chicken Run, like, <laughs> they are two of the sort of most inventive and imaginative films, and this just doesn't feel either. It doesn't feel yeah. inventive or imaginative. It just Matter feels Matter of strange. Loaf and Death is another one for you. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. They're, they're very quintessential British uh, comedy films as well. Like Paddington, actually. And mm. I think this one maybe doesn't feel like it belongs in that family for some reason. Yeah. But yeah, if, you, if the feeling of being hoodwinked by it definitely mm. put me off it while I was watching it. So if you go in knowing what to expect, possibly you'll enjoy it a little bit more. Okay. Fingers crossed, eh? As for us, we move on to our film club selection this week, which is The Excellent Election. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Okay, so Hannah. Oh yeah. Here we go. Alexander Payne, a man with an extraordinary broad and diverse oeuvre. Yes. Tell us briefly what's the plot of this one. So, election is. Um, Alexander Payne's sort of high school satire, but it's not really. It's uh, It concerns Tracy Flick, who's played by Reese Witherspoon and is running for student body president. And she goes uh, sort of toe-to-toe with Matthew Broderick, who is uh, her sort of nemesis. He doesn't like her very much and is trying to uh, stop her getting too big for her boots. So he decides to sabotage her campaign by staging the most popular boy in school against her. This is the moment where he's convincing Chris Klein's Paul to run for election. You're one of the most popular students at Carver. You're honest, you're straightforward, and you don't crack under pressure, as we all saw in the amazing fourth quarter against Westside. All the kids look up to you. Now what does that spell? Student, council, president. Oh, me? Oh, no, I... I don't know anything about that stuff, Mr. M. And I mean, besides, that's Tracy Flick's thing. She's always working so hard at yeah, it. Yeah, no, she's a real go-getter, all right. And she's super nice. Yeah, yeah. But one person assured of victory kind of uh, undermines the whole idea of democracy, don't you think? But, Mr. M. I mean, that'd be more like a, a dictatorship, like we studied. OK, so this is Alexander Payne's second feature, effectively, after Citizen Ruth, which is a film I know nothing about. What's Citizen Ruth? I've not seen it. It's uh-huh. Laura Dern in one of her sort of early roles. Apparently it's very good. And Burt Reynolds. It's hard to get a hold of, though. Right. So if anyone out there has a copy, please send G- it to us. I really want to watch it. Gutsy and hilarious, it says here. Anyway, he, he comes back with this, Election, which, as you say, is a high school comedy, which is in no way a high school comedy. I mean, it's a very adult. Yeah, I think MTV approached him and asked him to um, sort of make it, and he was a bit reluctant before he realised it was sort of not what he thought it was going to be right. and then he was kind of fully on board which is great because it's a fantastic film not about high school at all okay he then went on to make about schmidt with yeah. jan nicholson sideways which was his breakthrough yeah his movie. big kind of oscar yeah. grabbing that was really the film that i think made him and then he came back with the descendants mm-hmm. with george clooney uh nebraska which is a very enjoyable film the descendants yeah i like yeah. the descendants yeah nebraska, nebraska i've not seen nebraska is definitely worth catching uh-huh yeah i think that's probably his best since election okay Hannah, what did listeners make of it? Well, we had a comment from uh, Acer, who last week I mispronounced his name, so I apologise. OK. Um, he said, I just happened to watch Election a few weeks ago. It's a 10 out of 10 for me. Hmm. The script is as sharp as one of Tracy Flick's pin badges and the acting is superb across the board. I love the way Alexander Payne is quite mean to characters in his movies. Usually they deserve it and it's hilarious. Good one. Very astute. Did anybody then not like it? We didn't get anyone. No, we had some yeah. mostly positive comments on this, including wow. one from uh, Jane Meehan, who says, one of the best sets I've ever worked on. Oh, she worked on it? Apparently so. She doesn't she do? She, she doesn't elaborate. What, yeah, okay. we should get I'm back to her looking right now. <laughs> Jane Meehan. J-A-Y-N. She's an actress. Oh, right. Ah. Uh, and then Ben Keeler says, love this film. Payne is an underappreciated American master. IMO. Is this Reese Witherspoon's best work? Or is that's, it just that... I think That's what he claims. I mean, I, I, would, I would sort of go along with that. Yeah. I think she's... I mean, uh, legally blonde, obviously, but like. no. But uh, genuinely, legally blonde is is terrific. I mean, she had a <laughs> really good run in the in the late nineties, early noughties. Right. And we were just going back to pain. We were talking about nineteen ninety nine earlier. Oh yeah. Someone pointing out that um, Ben Stevens pointing out that this, you know, was released the same year as Magnolia, Being John Malkovich, American Beauty, uh, and I think Alexander Payne's someone who he definitely came along with that new wave of American indie directors like Paul Thomas Anderson, Wes Anderson, uh, Spike Jones, and he's maybe not quite done as much or he's maybe not as 
cherished as those directors. Would you throw Whit Stillman in with that, or is he a slightly earlier He's iteration? a little bit more... I'd, I'd say slightly earlier, if you go back okay. to like Last Days of Disco and stuff like that. Yeah. But he may, maybe kind of belongs in that group. All right. He's on the fringes of it, let's say. Okay. But Alexander Payne was very much part of that emerging force in, in American indie cinema. Who did Bottle Rocket? And Payne, yeah, for whatever reason, it hasn't quite worked out. I mean, I, I say that he's obviously successfully made a lot of films mm. and continues to be... I mean, this uh, his new one has got a lot of positive reviews despite our lukewarm comments on it earlier. Mm. I don't think he's done a thing as good as Election, though. There you go. Hannah, any other comments you'd like to either uh, reference from listeners or that you wanted to make yourself? I made this comment the other day on, ah. on Letterboxd, but it's a great comment, so I'm going to repeat myself. What's Letterboxd? Uh, Letterboxd is oh, a that, sort of film website. diary website. Yeah, right, yeah. Yeah. Nobody hates middle-aged white men like Alexander Payne, and it's brilliant. Like He just has such sort of contempt for the selfish... At navel gazing, right. and you see this brilliantly in um, Election. Matthew Broderick's character is this sort of like quite a you know genial man, but just so sort of thinks he's right about everything. Mm. And so it's funny that you feel he didn't manage to skewer Matt Damon's character so no, successfully no. in in Downsizing. Completely, yeah. That's maybe that's why I had um, such a sort of unpleasant reaction to it because I feel like that's always been one of Payne's trademarks is his ability to kind of like cut through that and um, you always see someone get their comeuppance in his films yeah or whereas I, I I must admit watching Downsizing I did think probably wrongly that Matt Damon was supposed to be a sympathetic character he I just wasn't he, I think he was supposed to be yeah which was what I thought was weird yeah okay but no, Election is a fantastic film Matthew Broderick really good in it and, mm. uh, Chris Klein this was his first screen role um, and then he went on to do American Pie mm. and not a lot since then but he's he's great in this he's just like a giant puppy you know you kind of just wants everything to be nice and you kind of root for him yeah well, it's a lovely sentiment isn't it <laughs> if only everything was what have we got next week then on Film Club Adam well, we're looking forward very much to the release of Paul Thomas Anderson's Phantom Thread. Yes. So to time with that, we're going to re-watch Funny Face. Funny Face? Yeah. The Fred Astaire, the, Audrey Hepburn classic. The very, the very same, yeah. Right. Um, from the director of Singing in the Rain and The Pajama Party and other great American sort of mid-century classics. And what's the director's name? Uh, he's called Stanley Donan. Oh, yeah, Stanley Donan. Okay. Yeah. May I help you? Thank you very much. I think we have everything we need. Would you please tell me what all this is about? We'll only be a minute. We're just going to take a few pictures. Pictures? What sort of pictures? Are you the owner? No, Dr. Post is the owner. I work here and I'm in charge in her absence. I, I'm just stopped and get... Can you help me? How do you do? I'm Dick Avery. What about these pictures? Well, we're using the shop as a background for some fashion pictures for Quality Magazine. I'm sorry, but I can't let you do this. Dr. Post would never approve. He doesn't approve of fashion magazines. It's shishi and an unrealistic approach to self-impressions as well as economics. We're going to have trouble. She's a thinker. She's also a talker. Good. And is that widely available? Yeah, it's, it's uh, pretty uh, widely available online. You can rent it. Um, okay. There's a few places. I don't think it's on any of the main streaming platforms, but to be honest, very few films from that era are these days, unfortunately. Okay. So, But do seek it out and, and let us know what you think. So Phantom Thread, and then also what we took uh, is, is, is the kind of big release next week. And what yeah. else? Uh, we're going to be discussing a film called Makala, documentary. Uh-huh. And possibly Denzel Washington's new film. But- yeah, he's got a new one which he's been, uh, he's received an Oscar nomination for, I think it's his... Roman it his J. Israel Esquire. Yeah, I, it's his, I think it's his fourth. Mm. Uh-huh. Yeah. 
Now, interestingly, the studio as yet hasn't scheduled any... I think there were some screenings. We haven't seen it yet. We're going to try and get on that for you okay. listeners. So it's not getting wide release here either. It's only going into about 70 theatres. Oh, right, yeah, okay. so it's a bit oh. of a dark oh. horse. Huh. Okay, well, that's all coming up next week then. For now, that brings us to the end of this edition of Truth and Movies. Do join us for that. Have a super time at any movies you may see in the meantime. And this has been a 7 Digital production. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.